My name is Georgia, and I am an overeater, and I've been abstinent for coming up on three years, I think, now, um, in June. Um, I mean, it's still far away, three years, but June's pretty far away, um, almost six months, but I'm in my third year, uh, and uh, COVID was good to me. I released 80 pounds in the first year of COVID. It was just so nice. Not the people, please. Not the, uh, I, I got up to 293 and probably over that. And, um, you know, I did gain a little back in a, in a couple years overeating my abstinent foods, not my alcoholic foods. But, um, you know, I'm abstinent now. And uh, I'm working on losing 100 pounds. And, uh, you know, uh, at 300 pounds, I was uh, I was miserable. And, um, you know, it's nice to be a lot lighter. And, uh, you know, uh, just the feeling of being abstinent and, and not always thinking about food, not always eating and not always stuffing you know, uh, every feeling I had, I, I I ate. I'm an emotional eater. And what happened was, what what it was like, when I was young, um, my mother was sick. And uh, she had postpartum depression into psychosis. And uh, things were pretty crazy and violent and... and uh, the way we dealt with it was exercise. We ran everywhere. And we were two twins, two identical twins, and we had a little brother. And we ran everywhere, and everybody kind of hated to see us coming. And I learned of uh, something called litter syndrome, which puppies have. You know, puppies in the same litter fight viciously. They're absorbed in each other. And I described it to my dad. And he's like, yeah, that was you and your sister. We didn't pay attention to anybody but ourselves when we were little. And I know we're just kids. I know we're just kids. But we, I know that I was a difficult child because I was a twin. And I think my mom, my mother got overwhelmed. I'm not making excuses. But um, my first addiction was exercise. And they say it's your first addiction that's the hardest to break. And I'm working on that now. Um, but, uh, you know, so the overeating came too. I'd say that was my second drug. Was The, the endorphins from exercise was my first drug. And the second drug was food from food. And um, I got away with it because I exercised. I ran everywhere and was supercharged and... Uh, and uh, you know, then I can remember uh, when we were young, my grandmother, what, how we learned in our house was every problem we had, food was the solution. And my grandfather was an alcoholic, so alcohol was the solution, and cigarettes were the solution. Take something from the outside and put it in was the solution. And, um, you know, I can remember... Something getting out of control. Uh, well, my father used to take us to the bar when we were, like, uh, 
I believe, about five years old, and then our brother was was three, and uh, he would take us to the bar and get us a treat, and uh, we, we would have one and one, or something to eat and something to drink, like an orange crush or something. Well, um, next thing you know, we're going there by ourselves. We're taking the greenhouse money. My grandparents ran the greenhouse money, and the bar was across the street, and you could go in the back where the restaurant was, and us kids were going back there with greenhouse, stealing the greenhouse money, and getting, it escalated, it just escalated, we were getting like three bags of chips a piece, and and a bunch of orange crushes a piece, and then we got told on that we were coming over there, and uh, of course we had to admit where we got the money. And I didn't know it was wrong to not take the money, and um, but I uh, I learned that that was wrong, and uh, so that's the first thing I remember getting out of control and escalating, and then the second thing I remember escalating was my we moved with our other grandmother, and this grandmother was a church secretary. When she came home from work, my grandfather died of alcoholism when I was nine. When she came home from work, she would bring us a treat and a snack in a bag. Well, we split the bag. And next thing you know, she's bringing a big bag, one for each of us. (laughs) And then we'd eat dinner. But she was diabetic, so we grew up on a diabetic. And she she did very well. She lived to be 94. She took shots. And it was just me and my mother and my sister and I. Um, living together, four women. My grandfather died of alcoholism, and when he died, I had uh, a spiritual experience. Not right away. At first, it was miserable. I was afraid of death and stayed up at night. My grandfather was in AA, and he, he would talk to us, and but he did die drunk. And um, he would talk to us about the program and honesty and stuff. He says, always be honesty and don't be vain and just different stuff like that. And um, I can remember, like, being afraid to go to bed at night, being afraid of, of dying. And then I was afraid everybody else would die and I'd be left here by myself. And I would keep my grandmother up at night talking about death. And I guess I was about 10 by then. And uh, it just, the reality of death hit. And uh, one night I, I thought, I cannot keep my grandmother up, God, because she might die too because she's old, like my grandfather. And then I prayed, and all that fear went away. The fear of death just left me. One night, because I turned it over to God and I prayed. And that I remember very vividly. Um, that was my second spirit, real strong spiritual experience. first one I had when I was real young. Um, but I banked on that. And then, you know, when I, I picked up alcohol, I cried because I felt separated from God. And I knew that I was going down a path that wasn't my higher power didn't have a stamp of approval on, but I was going anyway because I didn't really have any control. The euphoria I felt was a relief. 
well, you know, I really didn't have, I had to watch my weight, but I wasn't, like, overweight until I was 40-some years old, and I was uh, sober. Uh, I was about uh, 16 years sober, and all the stress, I bought a house. I got married. No, I I was like, when did I gain all that weight? When I was 40-some. But all this stress hit me. I bought a house. I I bought my mother's house. It burned. I didn't have insurance on it. My sister and her kids were living there. They lost all their stuff. We lost all our pets. And the stress just hit. It just hit. And I had uh, my brother's son died in Afghanistan and uh, completed suicide, and it was in the papers that way that he shot himself. And, uh, you know, another nephew that was living with me was struggling with suicide attempts and heroin addictions and my stepson. And it was just, and then I had a miscarriage, and it just was too much stress. And instead of picking up a drink, I turned to food. I would come home. And I chain smoked. I would come, and I gained a hundred pounds. And I would come home from work because that's about all I could do. My house was a wreck. It was a wreck. People called me a hoarder. And I would uh, just go to the refrigerator, eat, and then go sleep. And I didn't clean the house. I, I cooked dinner, but after I ate, and then I would eat a snack at night. And I just ate all the time. That was my solution to everything, was to eat and smoke and eat and smoke and eat and smoke. Uh, when my one nephew passed away, I just, uh, and he was a big part of my life. And I was worried about all the other family members passing away from the stress of it. And I would uh, chain smoke till late at night, then I would wake up at 5 in the morning, eat breakfast at 5, chain smoke, eat again at 9, go out, eat at drive through snacks at drive throughs then eat lunch at a drive through then come home, and I'd get home at 2 or 3 in the afternoon, a couple hours after lunch, and I'd go right to the fridge. I didn't want to deal with anything, and I'd light up and smoke and eat, go to bed, wake up, cook dinner, and that's all I did was smoke and eat. And uh, and work. I did work and pay the bills and and uh, it it was a terrible existence. I didn't uh, feel my feelings. Um, you know, I ate because I was scared that something was going to happen. Something else was going to happen, and I woke up scared. You know, today working the steps. I woke. I wake up excited about life. Today I wake up excited. Never in my whole life, even in my sobriety, did I wake up excited about life. And that's what OA has done for me. I'm happy to be alive. I'm not scared to be alive. I've heard in recovery there's two kinds of courage. One, you're not afraid to die, and the other one, you're not afraid to live. Well... I was more afraid of living than I was of dying because I was slowly killing myself. I was, well, killing my feelings is like killing myself. 
I was slowly killing myself with food and cigarettes. And then one of my friends got in OA. She told me about OA. I really didn't know about it. And in 1990, no, 2010, I came to OA. And, uh, you know, I liked it. I'll tell you what happened. Somebody gave me a Christmas present, and I ate the whole box, and it was really rich. And then I went to OA the next day, and I'm like, that's it. I need help. I need help. So I went, and it took until three years ago, let's see, 2020, to get an abstinence that I'm happy with. Because I had some kind of abstinence. Like the first year of uh, OA, I was chain-smoking, and I lost weight. And I was eating a lot of canned fish. <laughs> and you know what? It was sickening. <laughs> and then I entered this cooking contest at the fair, and I made it abstinent. And the judge's face, when she tasted it, she looked horrified. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the food it was. But I ate that, and I thought, no, no, I'm done being abstinent. And uh, uh, this isn't working. And it, it like, literally was sickening what I was eating, but I was smoking the whole time. And yes, I did lose weight, but it's not a weight loss club. You know, and people would tell me that. And one woman finally spoke up and she said, Georgia, it's like you're taking a diet pill smoking all those cigarettes. So to me, my sponsor and I decided that I wouldn't be absent until I quit smoking. I had to quit smoking first. That was killing me quicker than the food, I think, because I did have COPD, but I got healed by a healing evangelist, and I, my lungs are healthy now. Um, I smoke two packs a day. So with her prayers and my help in lung surgery, I quit the day of lung surgery. I was powerless. Um I thought three days in the hospital on painkillers from lung surgery, that'll be my start. That'll give me my first three days in quitting smoking, and it worked. And, uh, you know, and then I got a year in before I was abstinent, and I only gained five pounds from quitting smoking because I was eating all the time anyway. But um, then, then uh, after that, then I felt like I could be abstinent. Then I started on the food, and, uh, you know, I I think, you know, when you get sober, you give up alcohol. Hi, Georgia. You have five more minutes, dear. Okay, thank you. And then um, the obsession to drink goes away, and I go kind of lackadaisical about the steps. But no way, like my sponsor always said, you got to let the tiger out of the cage three times a day, but I enjoy my abstinent food. I enjoy it. I look forward to it, and if I eat something that's a little questionable, I don't feel right, and I don't like how I feel. And, uh, you know, I, I got accustomed to my abstinent food. I don't miss my alcoholic foods, and I'm, I'm grateful to, 
to my higher power for that. I do a 10-step every day, and I will say that I learned something about the 10-step. It's, uh, you know, um, the resentment is anger relived over and over again. And it's the wish to punish somebody. But I noticed that all negative feelings, the psychological definition of a resentment is any negative feeling that could be disappointment, hurt, um, uh, uh, any negativity, um, jealousy. Well, jealousy is the seven deadly sins. And that's the way I do the 10-step, who, what, why, what it affects, what's my part in it, and what character defect comes on. And for the character defects, I use the seven deadly sins. And God doesn't always reveal my part in it right away. But once it's revealed my part, and a lot of times I'm trying to control something I have no business controlling, and it makes me angry, then uh, I can change my behavior and and next time do things different. But I feel empowered when I find my part in it. And it took years to be able to do a 10-step that way and to look at myself without getting upset, without saying, oh, you know, beating myself up with pride. You know, I can accept that I'm human and that I have shortcomings, but I don't have to stay as flawed. I'm always going to be, you know, human, but I can be a little better than I am. And, you know, it is progress and not perfection. And I have to keep that in mind. And um, I think, and as far as the 11th step, my higher power is Jesus, and I am getting personal with that. But we can have any higher power. I watch a Christian broadcasting network all day. I don't watch anything else. Occasionally I watch Investigative Discovery, no drama. You know, it's kind of true stories. And... um, then I, I spend a couple hours in the morning meditating. I like to look at Baby Huey cartoons as part of my my meditation because God gave us the laughter, and I think Baby Huey is is amazing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I like the one cartoon. <laughs> I could relate to the mother. She wanted to have a baby so bad that she ate all these vitamins and <laughs> more is better. That's the way every addict thinks. She had old tour of vitamins. That's why baby Huey was so big. <laughs> but anyway, it makes me laugh and it makes me lighten up and then I can read all about my higher power and go on and then call on my fellowship and call on my sponsors and and um, you know, so tonight's topic, I'd like to hear about uh, prayer and meditation. And uh, I've always heard that uh, prayer is when we uh, talk to God and meditation is when we listen. And I'd like to hear about listening to God. And I know that's our intuition. I believe God lives in, or our higher power of any kind lives inside of us. And I see the light in people's eyes. And I couldn't hear God or trust my intuition when I was stuffing food down and couldn't. It interfered with my intuition and my gut instincts and smoking cigarettes. So I made bad decisions. But, you know, now that I'm abstinent and clear, 
and can meditate and listen, uh, I make better decisions and I'll pass. 